Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, America's native son, ladies and gentlemen, the pride of Columbus, he is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They've been trying to evict me for years, but I ain't going nowhere. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Today we are drinking Cross of Gold by Revolution Brewing Company in Chicago, Illinois, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. This is a lighter beer, a crisp golden ale with a delicate hop finish. They brew this with a little bit of wheat and there's a tiny hint of honey. Cross of Gold was the 2012 World Beer Cup gold medal winner. And gold medals go out to everybody that chipped in for this week's round of beers. First up, a big thank you to Peggy in Arena, Wisconsin. A big shout out to Carissa in Hamden, Connecticut. Next, we have Leslie from Boston who says, try Blue Moon Cappuccino. And we also have Carmel sending hugs and kisses from Blue Earth, Minnesota. So we went from Blue Moon to Blue Earth there, Captain. Well, you've always been known as an astronaut. Next, we say hi and thank you to Chelsea from Durham, North Carolina. She says she loves the show, told us to be easy. I don't know what that means. Just Uh, take it easy, Captain. No, we're not going to be easy. (laughs) And last, We have morals here, okay? It's going to take a little more than beer fund money to get in these pants. And last but not least, we have Brennan from Pulol Up, Washington. That's how he told me how to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm the captain. I am from blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's where we're both from after about five beers. Well, thanks to everybody for donating to the beer fund. If you'd like to do so, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Yeah, and for any garage merchandise or old episodes, that's where you're going to find it, at truecrimegarage.com. Also, we got the blog there, so if you're interested in having some more in-depth conversations, we, we like to do so through the blog. Also, all social media, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, you can find us at True Crime Garage. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. 
The murder of Father Alfred Coons, he was killed in his church back in 1998. There has been some argument uh, recently, Captain, if this is a cold case or if it's a case that there's still plenty of leads. Uh, Depending on which investigator or journalist you talk to, you're going to get both sides of the argument, that it's either a cold case or there's there's plenty of fuel there uh, keeping this investigation going. Well, yeah, I'm not going to listen to the journalist. I'm going to listen to the detective. Mm-hmm. And the detective said at least, uh, I think it was uh, last year, within the last year, he said it's not cold because it's not sitting on some shelf somewhere. There's still a unit that is assigned to this investigation. Right. And But, but I did say depending on which investigator detective you speak with because there have been some detectives along the way that said you know what i don't think that we're ever going to see this thing uh solved i don't think we're ever going to see a conviction here and but you're right as more recently that there seems to be some um detectives involved that believe that we could see this thing work itself out uh they might be waiting for a little luck they might be waiting for um the right clue or possibly, you know, a confession. Sometimes these confessions can happen as the years go by. All right, so where we're at before was the theories, and the, the first theory primarily was, was this some kind of satanic killing? Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, my theories on that, um, I, I t- for me, I think they would be, they'd leave some signature. Now, his friend that was a priest, uh, what was his name? Fiori or Martin? Martin. Martin is the one that brought up the fact that, well, there's possibly some satanic cult within the church. Mm. And I think if he was killed by one of them to shut him up for what he was saying on his radio show, I don't think there would be some kind of signature mark left. We don't know if there was or wasn't because this, again, a lot of this investigation has been close you know close to the chest Mm -hmm. now what i would argue and and i think we differ on some of this because you said earlier yeah rightfully so a lot of the stuff should be kept close to the vest i think as you know we're talking about many years have passed right you know i think investigators need to the more evidence that you release the more leads you will get and i know some of those leads that you'll get are going to be kind of a waste of time, but you're going to get more leads. So if there was some kind of signature, we don't know. And Mm -hmm. if there is, they might, might want to release that. Right. And you and I have both voiced publicly here, uh, that, you know, regarding the Amy Mihaljevic, the garage is not public dude. Uh, but regarding the Amy Mihaljevic case, uh, here from Ohio, Mm -hmm. when they released information that they did say when they released the information, they said, look, we're not certain if this is tied to the case or if, or if it's not, um, you know, it could be, but the, this item, these drapes were found in the area found near her body mm-hmm. and, but, but they released this information, what, 20, 25 20, years yeah. later. And it's yeah. like, um, okay. Yeah. As you're saying with father Coons's murder, this takes place in 1998. Yes. There, there could be, um, there would be reason to release some of that to, to maybe have somebody point the finger at the right guy, especially, especially when they come out and say, you know, we believe that this guy would have had obvious signs of injury probably on his face after this murder took place. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a town of six, 700 people. 
if if in fact somebody from the town committed that crime, well, um, it's not too hard to tie those two things together. Well, in law law enforcement's defense, you know, back in 1998, I don't think they had a lot of um, uh, what would be the word. I don't think they had a lot of hope or a lot of. I don't think they put a lot of weight into armchair detectives. And right. I think you're seeing now, like even with the Delphi murders, when they come out with that new suspect drawing, uh, you know, we released that. I, I've been getting so many, uh, you know, we have the sketch that they released with the Delphi murders, but I've been getting uh, pictures of suspects that look similar. And then I get a whole background uh, of this individual and I go, well, how did you get this? Mm-hmm. How did you get the background of this individual? Oh, well, I did my research. So I, I think uh, once law enforcement starts putting a little more weight into armchair detectives and web sleuthers, you know, I think some of these things would, wouldn't would go cold, as cold so fast. Right. And I have to agree with you, Captain, back to something you said earlier regarding the satanic aspect of this murder. Um, I'm with you. I think if it was some teenage group of Satanists or some mm-hmm. random group of Satanists that they might have made it clear at the crime scene there would have been been some kind of visual display of such uh if it was some kind of weird satanic thing going on within the church i think you're right they would be quiet about that it wouldn't be something that they would make so obvious for investigators um so that's the first theory yes regarding the investigation itself i'm going to take you just real quick this is dane county sheriff hamblin um, he is, uh, he, he notes in this article in his interview that he is a lifelong Catholic. Uh, he does admit that the investigation has been tedious and frustrating. Uh, he said that they had tracked down thousands of tips from the public mm-hmm. and they were checking and retrack rechecking what is now a room full of detailed police reports. Uh, He says, I don't know how many people we've spoke to. I do know that it's been quite a number of people. It's been all the way from one coast to the other end of the country as far as people that they've spoke with. Mm -hmm. Now, in this same interview, one by one, he dismisses the more uh, fanciful possibilities uh, in this case, and he dismisses them outright. Uh, The first being something we spoke about yesterday, the Catholic mutilation connection he mm-hmm. states nope you know the, the was there any connection between father coons in the death of this calf he says nope there there's been lots of rumors around town regarding that incident mm-hmm. but they didn't find anything they investigated it they didn't find anything well and the timeline of that killing of the calf might not actually actually be accurate either mm-hmm. i mean that could have all just been rumor or hearsay the other thing was the exorcism referral um, remember we said that it, it was thought by some other priest that Coons was to be contacted or to be conducting an exorcism soon in the near future before his uh, death occurred. Um, the thing here is they said the same thing, we that they investigated that and nothing came of it. Now he, adding his own opinion though, stating that um, when when people talk about an exorcism referral, as far as this case is concerned, he says that he he would actually think of someone with a mental illness rather than somebody being possessed by a demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from his police background. And he says that he believes ev- evidence in this investigation has pointed 
to that this would be a very emotional murder which brings all sorts of possibilities. So what he's, what I think if we're trying to read between the lines here of what the sheriff Hamblin is saying, uh, a, a probably very emotional murder the, reading between the lines. I feel like that means that there's some ties. There's some more direct ties from the assailant to the victim rather than just some mentally ill person, somebody that is demonically possessed or some Satanist, you know, or, 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 Mm-hmm. A random drifter, you know, because that was one theory at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. Again, like we we do have evidence that there was no breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. So was was it a drifter that the father was trying to help, or was this somebody that he knew, uh, and he let this person in, or did this person have access? So let's get into some more theories. Right. And I think the thing they're reading between the lines, though, I think the sheriff is implying some kind of relationship between the murderer and the the victim there. Right. Some knowledge of of who was his murderer. And he was also directly asked about a church connection, perhaps the controversy going on in Springfield, Illinois uh, diocese. And he says, nope, there was no connection confirmed that direction either you spoke about that right, a little that, bit yesterday yeah but i don't about some investigations that coons was rumored we we can't confirm right. he was rumored to have been involved in some kind of uh investigations into the diocese in springfield illinois well and also all the diocese in in all of illinois and so what did he say on the radio show what did the people working on the radio show know that seems like a very controversial catholic radio show you're going against the church. They never like that. Mm-hmm. So is there any, you know, again, we have a priest friend that was on the show talking about these inner um, child pedophile um, rings within the Catholic church. So there's your connection. Uh, is it connected to the murder? We don't know, but there is a connection there. Well, staying on that note, on the thought of another priest and also the uh, their radio show as well, in the aftermath of Coons' death, um, you know, the aftermath got strange and then it got even stranger. There would be stories of the exorcism referral that we talked about, the satanic assassina- assassination. Eventually, there's in- innuendos of sexual impropriety by Coons, and we'll mm-hmm. get to that in a little bit. Uh, there would even be allegations that his murder could somehow be linked to evil in the most unthinkable of places, the vast Catholic hierarchy that Coons was tied to as a priest. Some even blame the Vatican and Rome. So could someone within the church really have killed Coons or ordered him to be killed? Right, like a hit. Mm -hmm. Well, remember we spoke about Peter Kelly. He is the attorney that was the producer of the radio show that had worked with Coons Uh, for quite some time in Monroe, um, Wisconsin. Now, Peter Kelly, when asked that question, could somebody in the church really have killed Coons or ordered him to be killed? His response was absolutely. As unbelievable as that might sound to some people, um, he says absolutely. And he also adds that there were an awful lot of people in the church for whom life would have been a lot easier if Father Coons was not around. Right. So, again, I think he was doing some investigative work. This is, like I said, a couple of years before the whole spotlight thing in in Boston. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you haven't seen that, um, 
movie. I think it, it's it's very um, educational on on the inner workings of systems and how they protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he probably knew some stuff. And again, uh, the you know, like I said, there would be a signature. Now, if you're just trying to shut somebody up, you only need one signature, mm-hmm. a slit throat. Right. And that's normally indication of that this person was talking. Right? Correct. I mean, that's, and not saying that other people aren't murdered for other things or people aren't murdered like that. But to me, it's like um, this this person kind of knew what they're doing. They're, they, they cut an artery, you know, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen in every um, slit. You know, not every time does somebody slit somebody's throat do they hit an artery. So it feels like, you know, maybe that this person kind of had some understanding of what they were doing. Well, and one story that has kind of weaved itself into the story of the murder of Alfred Coons, of Father Mm -hmm. Alfred Coons, is this one. This is a strange story, but this is a man claiming to be Coons' friend. Uh, This is Abbott Ryan St. Ann Scott. Mm -hmm. Um, Now... this person felt that Coons's murder was related to Coons's investigation of sexual abuse scandals inside the diocese. Uh, and this referring to the Springfield, Illinois diocese, uh, stating that Coons had allegedly been investigating reports of homosexuality and sexual abuse by priest within that diocese. Mm-hmm. Now, how did these two find each other? Well, um, Reverend Ryan and Scott claims, um, that, and he's currently going by a different name, um, Ryan Ann OSB. Um, those are, <laughs> okay. yeah, I, I think that stands for some kind of title there, Captain. But this is a, this is a SOB. Yeah, I, I'm more familiar oh. with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott is what has been labeled by the Catholic Church as an, an independent Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I am. I guess uh, that Father- that means he's not in communion with Rome. Right. That's what I am. I'm Father Captain SOB. The other thing, the the debatable topic about this guy, though, is that it's uh, whether he was validly ordained or not is the big debate. Mm. And that's the argument that the Catholic Church is saying. Well, why why would they want <laughs> right. to say that he's not ordained? Because they want to discredit this man who claims to be a victim of sexual abuse by members of the Catholic clergy. And an incident mm-hmm. that occurred in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, um, he states this was after um, after Coons's death. But this man states that in 1998, uh, his confessor and spiritual director was Reverend Father Alfred Coons from Dane, Wisconsin. Uh, of course, the brutally murdered in his church, and he. But he's stating, you know, that he was working with this guy. He he had worked with Coons regarding his personal story mm-hmm. and regarding these allegations that he's brought forward about Springfield, Illinois. Now his own personal, um, his own personal tragedy that took place or the crimes against him would have taken place early in the fall of 1976. So when, when this guy was a much younger man, um, he, he was brutally gang raped in the St. John's cathedral in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, according to him, he states that he was lured there under false pretenses by a fellow priest and was set up for humiliation and bodily harm. Right. Um, according to Scott, father Coons was, was determined, um, to, to, to validate that this guy was actually 
ordained, that he was an actual real ordained priest. Um, right, because it's this, like I said before, it's the system covering up the system. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're going, okay, we're going to discredit this guy by saying he he's not ordained. So, okay, again, what does that have to do with anything? Can you answer me that? Well, I, I mean, I mean, just at a grand scale thing. Because there, if you if you read the full length of his allegations against these other priests, he would have had to have been a priest for this to for the crime to have gone down the way he said it went down. So if so. Do you see what I'm saying there? Right. Like, so, so the church is saying, if he wasn't ordained, then therefore the story is bogus. Right. It's like it's like if I said, you know, I was once a member of the Oakland Raiders. Oh, sorry, my my phone is going off. Just think, shut off your phone in the garage. I think that's the first time we've had a phone. No, I, I got I got guilty of that once. So no. I think we're even, Stephen. Now, but what I'm what I'm getting at is the way that the story goes down is that it'd be the same as if I said I was a member of the Oakland Raiders and during halftime inside the locker room, the one of the players uh, punched me out. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's and, not the same thing. No, yeah. it'd be like you saying you're a part of the Oakland Raiders, you're the punter, and then when you got in the locker room, you were gang raped by the offensive line. I don't think... Th- that well, would be the same. No. What I'm saying is that it, it it is the exact same because as soon as I go and I report the crime mm-hmm. and then the Oakland Raiders go... Um, it's a different crime, though. He's never been... Well, duh. Right. But when they say he's never been a member of this football team, then immediately my allegations, my whole story falls apart immediately. You know? Not necessarily. Is what I'm saying. But how? If I'm stating that the, well, that, yeah. that the assault took place at halftime mm-hmm. while I was employed by the Oakland Raiders and I was there in the locker room because I was a player on that team and I was assaulted... And then they go, well, that's impossible. He's never been a member of this football team. He would have never been in the locker right, my, room. We don't know what he's talking my about. My argument is that it would be, yes, lie, lie. But if you can prove one of those things, you know, it'd be like, again, oh, well, I'm a, you know, I work for the garage, blah, blah, blah. I got beat up. Oh, well, you actually don't work for this garage. But I have proof that I was beat up. Mm-hmm. Well, just because, you know, I wasn't truthful about, about one thing doesn't mean that just because I was just because I lied about one thing doesn't mean that the next thing is automatically a lie is what I'm saying. Possibly. But what I'm saying is if you read the full length of this, um, of these accusations, he would have had to have been a priest. He would have had to have been working in that right. capacity for right. So this, right. for this to be truthful but, at all. Right. But then the argument too, is that father Coons was trying to, prove right he was trying to validate this guy being as an ordained priest again another motive for the system to cover up the system Mm -hmm. um this saint anne person himself he is a controversial character um and and that's not just by the um opinion of the church Mm -hmm. um in 19 he has a felony conviction uh from 1994 uh, for misconduct in public office um, apparently he had a check from the city for $30 and he magically made it turn into a check for $300. Mm. Uh, and he got caught for this. The old add a zero trick. <laughs> um, add that to the list of things not to do that we were going over yesterday, captain. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this person, and I, again, similar situation to, you know, Malachi Martin that we discussed yesterday, 
when it comes to this guy, he has these allegations. They are interesting. Are they true? I don't know. There's, I don't know if that there's enough evidence or enough proof to back up some of his statements. Now it has been uh, reported that we talked about roughly, you know, kind of touched on that Springfield, Illinois connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the Bishop eventually did resign from um, his office there. So I don't know if that you can t- make your own opinion on that. If it, that means if there is any sign of guilt or not. Well, and that's one of the, one of the major things that the spotlight team uncovered in Boston was whether it was people resigning or them moving around priests to cover their tracks. Mm-hmm. So uh, cover their tracks. I mean, basically just hide criminals. Um, Captain, we got to talk about this thing though here, uh, because about two years after the murder of father Coons, there's an article that came out. This is from the, um, Madison, uh, associated press, um, stating that the title is slain priest had relationships with women. Uh, Oh yes, he did. And I'll give you the gist of it rather than read through the whole thing. Read it slow. (laughs) (laughs) like one of those penthouse forums. (laughs) Uh, So basically what they're stating here is that the investigators believe that uh, father Coons had carried on intimate relationships with women uh, involved in the parish for for about 20 years, continuing just prior to his death. Now, investigators came out mm. with this information because they were asking the public for leads now that they had this new possible motive. Right. So the motive would be he was having a sexual relationship with a, a married woman and then the, the husband found out and then decided to kill Father Coons. Yeah. Became in a jealous rage, stormed into the church and. Which is definitely a crime of passion. So I could see, you know, this being a possible motive. Mm-hmm. This this seems likely, you know. Um, Would seem more likely if he wasn't as old as he was. Correct, and, and that's one thing that the, a lot of the parishioners were pointing out um, that they were stating. You know, they felt. I think the church, um, and I mean his specific church, people that had relationships as as far as a, a priest and parishioner relationship with Father Coons, they got very upset about this. Um, coming out and they, and they actually got very upset with their own sheriff and their own sheriff's department mm-hmm. because they almost felt like these allegations were not warranted uh, and that they were really just kind of dragging the good father's name through the mud after death. Well, the statistics are like only 47% of priests are, are celebrant anyways. Hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty, you know, for people that take an oath, <laughs> you know, right. An oath of chastity uh, right. that you're stating that the the numbers are on the side of the investigators' allegations. Yeah, but uh, but I mean it's it's a dumb rule, anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean that that w- that wasn't put into place by the church for for a very long time, and it was only put into place. So it had nothing to do with being more holy or anything like that. It was more just so the priest in the community had a lot of power. And so if they had kids, then they could transfer that power over. So mm-hmm. now you're becoming more of a kingdom than you are a church. So the Catholic church put that into law and therefore they couldn't pass down the, their power to their family. Mm-hmm. Well, this would lead the investigators to um, investigating and interviewing 
um, a lot of the female parishioners. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, I have an account of how some of the questioning went down uh, for one woman, but we will get right to that after this quick beer break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless. 
with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. That's mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Right. We are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, my friend. Um, we were talking about some of the parishioners getting questioned, female parishioners, uh, regarding if Father Coons had intimate relationships with them. Mm-hmm. Well, one woman, this is Maura Smith, she was a St. Michael parishioner who was identified as one of the women that police thought Coons might have been having an intimate relationship with. Mm-hmm. Now, Smith describes the police um, attention as relentless, uh, intimidating and unbearable. Mm-hmm. Her, uh, butcher knives were confiscated from and her smelly. home. Smelly. Yeah. They, well, they searched her home, uh, confiscated butcher knives, uh, a baseball bat tools, snapshots of coons and other personal items of hers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was interview upon tough interview. She says, um, again, now if they're pulling stuff like the baseball bat and stuff, how can we assume that maybe he was hit with some object? Maybe he was attacked by more than one weapon. 
Right. And again, wouldn't that be something that you, I don't know. I think it's, I have a real issue with them keeping too much information close to the vest. Uh, they, the authorities also took blood and hair samples. Um, they would say that uh, Mara, you know, they would ask Mara questions. Mara, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did did he touch you? Did he grab you? Uh, She's like just above the belly button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they said he, they told her that they were asking these same questions and doing similar searches with all of the women of the parish. Well, yeah, you'd expect them to be asking these questions of these women if if this is a possible motive. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing here is Smith says of her experience, you know, regarding Father Coons was that their relationship was, was innocent. She says Father Coons was a gentleman. She says regarding her, what she would call um, intimidating questioning that she received from the police as mm-hmm. well as uh, them searching her home, she states that she has suffered a, more than her fair share of what what was entailed in this investigation. Um, she eventually moved out of the area. She moved to Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee. Because she was upset about the ordeal, citing police harassment um, and accusing the sheriff's office of dragging Coons's name through the mud. So that's one ladies, that's one of the ladies of the parish, her experience as far as the allegations about Father Coons with women of the right, so, church and if there were potentially a jealous husband or boyfriend involved in the murder. Right. So basically what, you know, they come up with this theory and they, this is trying me, tries me insane. Let's come up with the theory and uh, then we try to prove it. Mm-hmm. How about you try to prove it before you start, you know, again, we'll hold all this stuff to the vest really closely, but uh, you know, we're going to start, spreading rumors that this this father was having affairs with uh with ladies from his church well and a lot of times investigators or police will use the word intimate to to mean just a close relationship to describe a close relationship well, i think that's um irresponsible well one thing that they did in this investigation and when they would speak publicly about this investigation was at some point they dropped that word as mm-hmm. uh, you know, saying intimate relationship with the priest, mm-hmm. uh, because at some point they started saying, you know, their belief is that this person had an intimate relationship with the priest and had a good working knowledge of the church itself or the building, uh, that he was found murdered in. Right. Now, the thing here is, uh, like I said, they dropped that, that intimate title and just changed it to a relationship or close relationship with the father at some point because they, you know, they're getting backlash from the, uh, from the, from the parish. Well, of course, again, investigate it, then present the theory. Don't present the theory, then investigate it. I, again, I just think that's irresponsible. So that, that theory is kind of squashed. And what else we have? I know we had some profiles that they had. Yes. So the police, I do think that the investigators here did a, a pretty thorough job on this investigation. It seems like they've worked very hard and tried everything they could. Now, one thing they did work with FBI profilers, Mm -hmm. um, the forensic behavior science experts, uh, who discern probable behavior at crime scenes based on physical evidence in consultation with investigators. Uh, police consider these profiles to just be guiding tools. We all know that. Um, here are the conclusions of the FBI profiles regarding the father Coons case. Uh, this is their thoughts. One, the offender showed obvious rage publicly and like in the likely motive was related to jealousy, revenge, betrayal, 
or something else very personal. So a personal uh, vendetta against mm-hmm. the the priest. Uh, they also state that number two, the the weapon might have a connection to the killer's employment or hobby, and the weapon is one that the killer feels comfortable using. Three, the impetus of the murder could have been an incident that occurred between the killer and Father Coons within 72 hours of the crime. This could have been the result of a long or short-term conflict and possibly of a nature that other people would consider insignificant. Right. I just laugh because, well, it could have been a short-term or it could have been well, a long-term. Well, these profiles can be right, vague right. at times. Um, the killer would have tried to ensure an alibi to account for his absence during the time of the homicide. Mm-hmm. The excuse might be weak, but the killer will not waver from it. Okay. The next one is the day after the murder, the offender might have missed work claiming illness or injury. We've heard about this in in many other cases that we've covered. Uh, If the killer did go to work, it would have been difficult for him to concentrate while worrying how the police might be able to find a link between him and the murder. Mm -hmm. The killer's preoccupation with the crime may have caused noticeable behavioral changes such as with withdrawing from friends and family changes in eating and sleeping habits and or increased u- use of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see this a lot of times too. Somebody, cre- you know, commits a crime and, and then really follow follows it as, as almost a obsession. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes it can be caught that way as, as a result. Yeah. And regarding the drugs and alcohol, you know, sometimes they, they believe that's a way of the person dealing with the guilt or mm-hmm. dealing with the stress of being worried that they're going to get tied to the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, they also state that it is possible that the killer is vocal in proposing theories about the crime that draw away attention, such as an interpreted burglary uh, or sorry, interrupted burglary mm-hmm. or a transient theory or a conspiracy theory regarding the death of Coons. Um, Which a lot of people didn't present weird theories. Maybe father Martin did, but um, so other than that, well, I think, I think there were a few people working with in some capacity with the church that were voicing some, what we would say, quote unquote, weird theories. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, not many theories seem to be coming from the general public. Um, their other thought would be that people close to the killer may be a, be aware of a past dispute with the father. Um, they might suspect the killer's involvement in the crime, but they also might sympathize with the killer's situation. That seems like a strange one <laughs> to throw yeah. in there. I wish I would have X that one out of their profile because that one just sounds yeah weird. weird. Um, next, the killer is a white male. Here's where we get to some more specifics. It's always a white male. The white guy did it. Um, the killer is a white male, probably in his late twenties or older. Uh-huh. They estimate the age, uh, because of the killer, um, lack of panic after the murder, that this must be somebody that's a little older. That's a little, uh, more patient that uh-huh. this wasn't a teenager or a very young man. Um, the murderer was known to father Coons, um, but also had a physical size that posed no threat to the to the father, to Father Coons. Right, so not a large man. 
Well, this makes you wonder because they're they they're gathering some of this evidence as physical evidence and with cons, con, consulting with the active investigators on this crime. Mm-hmm. When they say that he has no physical size that posed a threat to Father Coons, that makes you believe that he that Father Coons very likely opened the door and let this person into the building. Right. Or and I, and I think we've seen evidence of that. Yeah, um, Coons's murder was probably. Uh, employed full-time as nothing of value was taken from the scene. Remember we Mm -hmm. said early in the investigation, they would not rule out robbery. It sounds like it has been ruled out, which I think, you know, the, the drifter, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The drifter probably would have taken something would have, would have robbed the place in some form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a big church too. So, I mean, it could be something again, and we also don't have Father Coons is not writing down an inventory of everything. That's true. So there could be there could be some, uh, let's you know, like some of those like wine cups that they have, you know, or maybe they're just gold plated. But you'd think maybe one of those would be gone. But again, how many did they have? There could have been something taken, and they just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, so I went from drifter theory. Doesn't make any sense to, to, uh, to still, still, still still involved. It's still on the plate. Well, way to scratch it off the paper. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, they also state that the killer had at least a high school education. I love how they figure these things out. A full-time employed, mm-hmm. uh, at least a high school education and no extensive criminal record. The killer's intelligence is average, but he <laughs> is, he is without the street smarts of a sophisticated criminal. Mm-hmm. So almost stating, you know, we see no extensive p- criminal record and without the sophisticated uh, street smarts of a, a sophisticated criminal. So this might be this fir- person's first um, rodeo, so to speak. Right. Um, and, and at the very, maybe even more hadn't committed any crimes at all. Um, the next one um, is the killer did not expect the amount of blood gushing from the fatal wound. Um, complicating the weapon, his clothing, and this, this would complicate the disposal of his clothing in the weapon. This Mm -hmm. creating a problem for the killer. Also unexpected was how fierce Coons struggled. No matter how brief the altercation was, the killer was punched several times and may have been scratched or cut by the murder weapon itself. These injuries would have been visible to those close to the murderer. Mm-hmm. Well, I like those FBI profiles, Captain, and I, and I like when they release <laughs> them for... Um, I could read those all day long. And you're yeah. right, though. There's, there well, are I don't want to listen to them all day. There are things in there that you can snicker at, that you can laugh at a little bit. There, mm-hmm. there are some vague vagueness to them it's like at a times. Podcast. Um, but I think that um, that would lead us to... Our next topic, which would be, you know, we discussed theories, but let's talk about some more, uh, let's talk about suspects and let's talk about them as specific suspects. Mm -hmm. Um, So several sources um, confirmed at one time in this investigation that the investigation was targeting the teacher who had found Coons's body. Right. Um, After this was, this is different though, because this is after the this teacher moved in with Coons's friend. Who did he move in with? He moved in with Reverend Fiore. Uh, now, remember, we talked about this guy. He's longtime friends with Father Coons. And this quote-unquote suspect 
moves in with Fiore, lives with him for about six months. This is almost immediately after the murder. Right. Um, the teacher eventually moved out of the state um, and was recently engaged to be married. Um, I'm guessing, I don't have anything to back this up, but I'm guessing that possibly that relationship with the woman may have taken him out of the state. Um, after finding the body, though, this teacher called 911 on the morning of March 4th, 1998. The mm -hmm. teacher did pass, this is according to police, uh, passed police questioning. Um, and what they did was... <laughs> passed police questioning. That that, you, I was waiting for you to say a polygraph, but... No, this is according to the police. Um, now, one thing that they did at the time, um, they took this person's clothing. Because remember, after finding the body, this teacher's clothing was covered in blood. Mm -hmm. So they took his clothing and they left, they basically left the teacher wrapped up in a blanket. Um, what had happened was when the, when Father Coons was found murdered at the church, you know, there was supposed to be school that day. There was going to be other teachers. There was going to be students there. This was going to be a regular day in Dane, mm -hmm. in Dane County. Right. Um, but what ended up happening was they discovered the murder. And so they sent all of the parishioners, all the school children, all the people arriving to the school that morning, they sent them across the street to the village hall. Um, now there, this teacher, this teacher that is more shocked than the rest of the parishioners, because he in fact found the body. Right. He's had his bloody, bloody clothing confiscated from him, taken from him. He's now wrapped in a towel sitting amongst all of these other people who were in shock that their, their priest was killed. Well, a couple things with this. I mean, the murder weapon would have to be close mm -hmm. and they should be able to do DNA testing to see if this teacher had any blood, uh, like a mixture of blood between his and father's. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm assuming they did that, that testing. Well, the police, they, the, the thing, the problem they had with him as a suspect was they, and this might just be their intuition that's, that's taking him away. This might just be their own, you know, experiences as a police officer or detective, but they're stating that they would find it highly, highly improbable that this guy would have killed the priest sometime at night. So this would probably have taken place at 1130, 1230 that mm -hmm. night and then been the first one to return to the crime scene to find the victim. Um, the thing captain though, they, or they, that he would stay in the church that whole time. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so we also have, uh, the teacher was again, interviewed by investigators at least once that I could find this would have been in late March, uh, with a lawyer present. So question the day of the finding and then question again at a later date in March. Now, sometimes when you're questioning somebody, it's not because it's not to insinuate any guilt. Maybe they're not guilty of anything. You're just going over what they saw, anything they recollect, uh, that had taken place. Maybe there was something that you missed, uh, the first time. Um, Fiore and others, uh, involved that knew this man and knew father Coons very well, um, have told said publicly that they cannot imagine any connection um, from this teacher to the actual murder. Um, and then everybody kind of coming to the defense of this teacher stating that the teacher was not, did not appear to have been injured in any way on March 4th. Um, and remember we said, according to the FBI profile, as well as the investigators that Coons put up a pretty good fight, uh, even if it was a short fight, 
uh, before his throat was slashed. Yeah, the problem with that, though, problem with that evidence is, again, we don't know what what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, like I said before, maybe there's bruises on his knuckles and stuff like that. And there's multiple ways. I mean, maybe you get a bruise from your knuckle because you did punch somebody. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you get a bruise from your knuckle because in this struggle, your hand smacks against the wall. So I think sometimes that, you know, there is this quote unquote scientific evidence of maybe that this guy put up a fight and that somebody should be injured. But that doesn't, you know, we got to air that there's always that slim possibility that what you're seeing, what you think you're seeing scientifically is not what you're seeing. Right, right. Um, you know, so didn't see, didn't have any injuries that were visible to the public on that day that the body was found. Um, and also stating that the teacher did not show any visible signs of anger toward father Coons at any time, uh, before or after the murder. And this to me seems like kind of a weak suspect. Uh, obviously you'd want to question this individual because he found the father that he actually worked with the father, but this seems like a weak suspect to me, but there was a stronger suspect. Yes, there was a stronger suspect. And just before we get to this, this other suspect staying on your same thought there, uh, investigating the person that found him also investigating the person that last was known to see father Coon. So we did have father Fiore, uh, who did endure, a heavy police scrutiny at one time. Mm -hmm. um, and one article that I found, and I couldn't confirm this with, with other articles, but it state that he had been cleared in the, as having any involvement in the murder of the priest. Now, so here, here's the next guy. Mm -hmm. and, and this guy might be a little bit better of a suspect than both of the last two people we discussed. So this comes from a gentleman by the name of Matt Abbott, uh, he's somebody that's covered this case extensively. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a writer, a journalist that has covered this case extensively over the years. Uh, and one article that he wrote uh, was titled, Did a Hanged Rapist Kill a Wisconsin Priest? Uh, and in the article, he says that he had received an email from a person named John Cavanaugh. Now, this John Cavanaugh is a retired Dane County deputy. And John was stating that he knew the person well, he knew of a person with a violent, a very violent background uh -huh. who was in the area on the day of Father Coons's murder. Uh, this person uh, that he's going to say allegedly killed Father Coons uh, is now deceased. Yeah, he's going to implicate him. In well, where did John Cavanaugh get his information? He says that the suspect, his father had told John that the suspect had contact with Father Coons. And that he had asked Father Coons for money. He was refused. Mm -hmm. And in this person's words, he said he had to rough him up. So he had to rough up the priest after he's denied money. Now, this perpetrator, this suspect, is John Cavanaugh's nephew. Okay. So it would be John's brother, the father of this suspect, that gave him this information. Now, who is his nephew? His nephew had a history of violence toward women. Uh, he was incarcerated pending trial on charges of assault and kidnapping, and he committed suicide while he was waiting for that trial. He had previously served time in state prison for assaulting another woman. Well, right. Okay, so think about this, too. I mean, think about how many cases that we've had. I think uh, Aurora shooting, the mm -hmm. Aurora Theater shooting. Yeah. Um, Sandy Hook, I think. A um, couple other ones where where the parents hear about a crime and they get a gut feeling mm -hmm. that it was their 
their son or their daughter or whoever, right? Right. And so we have this case where this thing happens in a small town. But, uh, yeah, maybe the father, you know, gets more information. But he had a gut feeling from the beginning. Well, the strange thing about this person saying that he had to, you know, he was refused money and then he had to rough up the priest. Well, he used this same phrase uh, when he described a crime he had committed like eight or ten years before the murder of Father Coons. Mm -hmm. He had went to his own grandfather for money and asked him for money and was refused. And he told, he told his father about this and said, I had to rough up grand, my grandfather because he refused me money. He right. roughed the grandfather up so badly that the guy had to go to the hospital and he spent the rest of his days in a wheelchair. So it was, it was damn near murder. You know what right. I mean? Uh, to use the words had to rough him up. So this man, John Cavanaugh though, is saying that he had, once he had this information from his brother, about his nephew's confession, quote unquote confession. Mm -hmm. um, he notified the sheriff's office. Uh, he said that they did do a little bit of follow-up on this. Uh, they contacted the father. They spoke with him, um, but they did get back in contact with this John Cavanaugh and they told him, you know, what, what your nephew told to your brother uh, cannot be construed as a confession. Right. Um, that it's, this is not considered a confession it on top be. of this. Uh, we're looking at a suspect that's already dead. Maybe that has something to do with how much effort that they're going to put into this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, he's tried to get them time and time again to, to consider this as, as a strong theory in this case, he says, but for what it's worth, he is a retired Dane County deputy. Um, so he, he would have worked with some of these investigators and he said that there are personality clashes, uh, with many who are in power at the sheriff's office today, which could very well be one reason for their perceived failure to act upon his claims. He yeah. says that they're in no hurry to admit that perhaps they should have followed up on this information years ago. Now, John Cavanaugh's nephew is Joseph Cavanaugh. And as we said, he did have a history of violence and possibly mental illness. Yeah. So a couple of weird things here, because one, you'd think, that this police department would, and we've seen this time and time again with other police departments, where even if this is not the right guy, this guy is dead, so therefore he can't defend himself. I mean, we're not going to bring charges with, there's not going to be charges to anybody in this uh, case, but this case will at least be closed, and this is the most, you know, I let, you dare say popular case, mm -hmm. or most covered case in their small little county, so you'd think, we, we just got to get this closed. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, want to say, Hey, I applaud them for not just, you know, going, here's the guy, he did it. We're never going to charge him. So let's move on. Right. Um, but it seems like they didn't do their due diligence on this. And I, the reason why I think that the suspect being dead is, is a hindrance for them is something that they don't wish to pursue. I wonder if the investigators know that a confession is really the ultimate way of solving you know, that this is might be the right. only way left of solving this crime or this well, case. Because so much time has passed and there might not be if the if the attacker didn't cut himself and there there might not be any DNA evidence. They did test it was about four or five years into the investigation. They said that they had a small amount of DNA that they wanted to test and they were going to test in this investigation. However, they tested it and when they come back and they don't really want to talk about the results or they're, you know, and they just say, well, mm -hmm. it kind of went nowhere. Well, that means that 
it, it, it means that it's either not DNA that they thought that they had. It means it's poopoo. Right. Right. It's it's not going to lead to anybody's arrest. Now. Well, I would just, on this theory, my gut feeling is, look, I mean, uh, no parent. That's the, you know, one of the worst. You know, other than your child passing away, the the second worst thing would be, right, your child committing some, some heinous crime like this. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the father is coming forward and saying, look, I, I believe my son was responsible for this murder, uh, that holds a lot of weight with me. And thank you for saying that because that reminded me the 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 vibe I got, what I read was that the the father, not only did the the uncle suspect this guy, but the father backed it up as well as the uh, the man's mother firmly believed that he was involved in the the murder of Father Coons. Um, now, more about this Matt Abbott who has covered this case extensively, and this is a more recent article that he has written regarding the death of Father Coons. Um, he says, and it, it's, it's, it's a very long article mm-hmm. and the juicy stuff is at the end. So I'll read, uh, I'll read the end of that article and it says now for that interesting bit of information pertaining to the murder investigation, mm-hmm. he states that, uh, once again, he was contacted by somebody. This is a private investigator had informed him that the prime suspect was a man who was known to father Coons. Uh, apparently this man was having more than a platonic relationship with another man who was also known to father Coons. The second man reportedly had some sexually suggestive photos of the suspect in his bedroom. According to the investigator, the simplest explanation is usually the best one. The investigator told Matt Abbott and stating that maybe Father Coons caught the two together or saw a photo that was compromising. Mm-hmm. Maybe the man had confessed to Father Coons about their homosexual relationship. Uh, probably no one will ever know which one of those is 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 true. But he says, uh, you know, all of the circumstances, you know, even without the possible motive pointing primarily at the suspect, um, unfortunately, this primarily does not translate to anything beyond reasonable doubt. Um, basically, he he's stating that this this guy went out and killed Father Coons because he was aware of this relationship that he was having with another man. And this private investigator does he believes that the police did their job, that they did their due diligence. He thinks what has really really put this investigation on its side was that the the man he was having a relationship with was not very forthcoming with information and may have even lied to the police early on in this investigation. All right, so that's none of what you just said is that clear. So the guy that murdered Father Coons was actually having a affair with another man. I don't know if he was having an affair, but he was having, according to this article and this investigation, he was having a relationship. He was having a homosexual relationship. So, with since man. Father Coons knew about this homosexual relationship, he had to murder him. That doesn't seem like that. That's according to this investigator mm-hmm. and the article written by Matt Abbott. Right. Yeah, I don't like this theory that much at all. Now, police did state that there was an anonymous letter that was sent to the police um, years ago in this investigation that did name a suspect for them. 
Uh, later police were able to identify who this anonymous person is. Mm -hmm. Now they've not outwardly said who the anonymous person was. They've also not stated who the, uh, was implicated in the letter that was sent to them. All right. So where did this investigation lead them? Well, the thing here is I wonder if that's where this, in, this private investigator came up with this whole theory about the two men having a relationship that one of them would have moved out of town. One of them remained in town mm -hmm. and maybe the, the, the one that remained in town knew what was going on, lied to the police early in the investigation, felt bad, felt guilty, knows who killed the father, killed the priest and sent this anonymous letter. That's my, that's a suspicion. That's a bit of a leap. I understand that captain. It's a little bit of a leap. Mm -hmm. um, but by 2009 investigators with the Dane County Sheriff's department uh, were willing to state that they did have a longtime suspect. They would not name who this uh, suspect was and said that uh, has never been named. Um, mm -hmm. They've not arrested this person because they have lack of sufficient, sufficient evidence to do so. Um, Steve Gilmore, he was the Lieutenant of detectives with the department said that the suspect left town soon after father Coons's murder. Um, he said that they know where this person is. They know that the, they know what he's up to. Mm -hmm. Apparently they're, they're watching him, um, or have watched, kept an eye on him. They state that if indeed he had committed this murder, then he stayed pretty clean. You know, he's not gone out there wherever he's located and committed other crimes. And they also state that they certainly don't think that there's any threat to the public out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I laughed about oh, that as well. Oh, my God. Wow. Hey, dummies, wake up. Killed a priest. Right? Right. This suspect that you believe is a suspect, if he's actually somewhat of a suspect, he killed a priest. Because he was having having a relationship with another man. Well, that's if those two are actually tied together. That was me me making that leap. But I know what you're getting at here, Captain. If somebody's right. capable of killing a priest once, I think they... Slit in their throat. I think they always remain a threat to the public. It, but... As much as wow, we as much as we want to get upset about that statement that Gilmore made to the the newspaper, the thing here is though it, it doesn't matter because what can they do if they don't have evidence? They can't arrest the guy and and ensure the public that he's not going to harm anybody else. They're kind of left with their hands tied. So what Gilmore basically is stating that as of you know this was in two thousand nine article. However, he states in this article that as of 2008, that suspect was alive. Um, he was under surveillance by somebody. Yeah, I'm um, sure he is. And he was no longer living in the Dane County uh, jurisdiction. All right. Well, that's, uh, you know, it does a, leave a little sour taste in your mouth. I'm drinking beer. There's not, there's no, there's no sour taste in this. There, I got a little taste of honey. Didn't he hear the man talk about this delicious beer? So does any of that lead you to to any direction in this case where where you feel that you have a better idea or better sense of who committed this crime? No, because originally looking into this, my gut feeling, and, and probably because I just watched Spotlight, my, my, my original gut feeling was, you know, Father Martin talking about uh, possibly some kind of inner workings of the church and trying to cover it, you know, system covering up system. That's kind of where my gut feeling was going. But like you said, we read into this when you have, um, 
a child that you believe uh, had the capability of doing this, roughed up his grandfather, had all these vicious attacks, uh, kidnappings on women, um, uses the same verbiage when he talks about uh, roughing, he had to rough up the father, right? Uh, father Coons, that is. And, and so now you got an uncle, a father, and a mother all stating that this person they believe should be the number one suspect. There might not be evidence to prove that. Right. So that, you know, kind of ties law enforcement's hands. So, but, you know, then they toss in this other person. And I don't want, okay, their remarks on, he, you know, he's not a, a threat to society. Well, that that is just bullshit, you know. Uh, and um, they should be reprimanded somehow for just that dumbass comment. But, but but how would you rep? I thought about this quite a bit. Just spank them in front of people. <laughs> just spank them. I don't think they um, could do that. Well, it depends on how. But here, but the thing is, is then. But again, if there's not enough evidence to link, you know, the the one suspect. Uh, what was his name again? That, that was the um, Joseph Joseph Cavanaugh. The, yeah, the Cavanaugh. guy that, that, that committed suicide. Yeah, if there's a not not enough evidence to link him. Or maybe they did look into that and they just don't think he's the guy because they have enough information on this other suspect. Uh, that, that's, that's the only thing there that may, you know kind of makes me question. Again, mom, father, uncle, verbiage, his attacks before, the suicide, all those things. That, you know, That's your number one suspect. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to discredit law enforcement if they go, we got this other guy and we'd like to get him. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Captain. I think I, the one thing I think I rule out here is the Satanist um, aspect. Never rule that out. I think that I think that one seems less likely the more you get into this situation and you see that it is very likely that um, that Father Coons had some type of personal relationship with the person that committed this crime, whether it be just somebody that attended his church. I think it was a familiar face that knocked on the door that night and he opened up the door to the, to his killer. Um, and I think that's how the, yeah, but you can't roll out, you know, somebody uh, part of the clergy. So, um, is all I'm saying. Um, but I, again, I think it's somebody, somebody that the father recognized that night. And I think he let them into the building. Now there was a priest that recently wrote, um, the killer of father Coons still walks among us. Uh, no one can be certain if this vis- vicious killer has or will strike again until the murderer of Father Coons is arrested and convicted. An individual possessed by evil walks among us, assured that at, at least once he has successfully murdered a man of God and gone unpunished. Until this crime is solved, those who hate God and his people know that it is possible to kill and get away with murder. Um, anybody having any information regarding the murder of Father Coons uh, should call the Dane County Sheriff's Office at 608-284-6871. And I really hope they do get more information and, and have the closure of this case because one of the things that I applaud um, Alfred Father Alfred Coons for doing was to look at his own mm-hmm. and to see that there was a problem within um, the inner workings of, of the church right? and something that he fully believed in. I mean, he committed his life 
to the church. He committed his life to a community. So whether or not you're religious or not, um, anybody that I think commits themselves to a community and lifting up people and doing good instead of harm, I applaud those people. But I also applaud the fact that he saw that there are um, evil demons within the church preying on kids and that he was doing some research and at least um, diving into it and not turning a blind eye as so many have. Well, so I applaud, I applaud him for that. Yep. Uh, recommended reading for this week, Captain, we are recommending The Operator, Firing the Shots That Killed Osama Bin Laden and My Years as a SEAL Team Warrior. You were a SEAL team? No, that's somebody else's oh. words. This is by one of the many, many heroes that have served this fine country. This is Robert O'Neill. Robert was on the SEAL Team 6, obviously. He also served in Iraq and Afghanistan. This guy... Uh, he served in our military's tier one units. He did 400 missions in his military career. He was involved in the rescue attempt of the lone survivor. Also uh, the rescue of captain Phillips. And of course the bin Laden thing. That's a brother of mine. And in his book, the operator, he reveals firsthand details of the most celebrated terrorist takedown in history. So please check out the operator by Robert O'Neill and you can do that by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on the recommended page. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for spreading the word. We appreciate you. Yep. We will see you back here in the garage next week. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.